you're listening to a Pave Media show. Visit pavemedia.net for more podcasts and video entertainment. So, John, please tell me, what is your worst job interview? Well, I mean, it would be hard to top the time when I was doing a Skype interview, sat at my table. And at the time, two of the underrated supporting cast of this podcast, my uh, my goldfish, they lived on my table as well. You say two of the underrated supporting cast. I mean, one of them has been recast multiple times. Yes, yes, yes. Well, <laughs> that is true. One of them does have a tendency to die a lot. But, mm. uh, anyway, they at the time lived on this on my rather lovely glass tabletop that we're currently recording on mm. uh, in a big tank. Well, it's about a 40-gallon tank. I'd recently upgraded them from a much smaller tank. I put this new tank on the table. And then I also use this table to do my general office work and stuff. So I placed my laptop on the table to do the Skype interview. Mm-hmm. And I was doing really well, I think. I was crushing it. I was answering questions. I had good examples. You know, I was confident. I was chatty. Uh, and then midway through the interview, uh, my table collapsed. Just completely right. collapsed under the weight <laughs> of the fish tank. Mm-hmm. Obviously cutting off the Skype straight away. Mm-hmm. The table went crashing down. I cut my hand quite badly and the flat was flooded with water. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the last thing that the interviewer saw was just like, because the laptop fell off the table, obviously. So as the internet cut out, I think mm. the last thing he saw was like a freezer of my face sideways, just looking <laughs> horrified and probably in agonizing pain. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I didn't get that job. <laughs> wow, great. Uh, how did the fish do? They lived. That both, was, both, the, both they actually them. both lived. That didn't oh, yeah. kill them. Yeah. So that's tragic. They survived that. And then one of them just he jumped out of the tank. Well, maybe it just thought it wasn't being treated very well. Well, maybe not. <laughs> or maybe its view down from the floor currently is just not as good as it was on the table. I think that might be it, yeah. It's just the old days. Yeah. Yeah. Poor fish. Some films are fine, just the way they are. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry, joining me as always is John. Hello. And today, for the first time in about a million years, it's me <laughs> choosing a film. Oh, good, 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 yes. Uh, oh, you've been waiting a while. Yeah, it's been ages. Yeah. Well, you've, you've got your moment now, take it, run with it. Yeah. Um, so this week, uh, I thought that in response to doing a Glenn Close season, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a, just a single film, which feels more manageable, okay. on the better version of Glenn Close, which is Mel Streep. Okay. Um, no disagreement there from you, great. Well, I mean, it's not really nice to compare women. No, they're both good in their own way. Yeah. Sure, okay, yeah. yeah. One's better in the same way. Sure, okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so it's Double Wedge Prada today. Yay! And, uh, yeah, before we get to some sequels, probably do a little plot summary, talk about the film a little bit. Sure. What did you think of this? How many times have you seen this before? I've seen this a few times before. I really like this film. This mm-hmm. is a good, fun film. Maybe, surprisingly, not one of my all-time favourites, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's a good, fun film, but it doesn't quite hit that level of, like, I will watch this multiple times a year and just laugh every time. Like, mm-hmm. I find this film to be very good. Yeah. Like, I think it's kind of a just-above-average film that is very elevated by two amazing performances. Mm. Neither of which is Anne Hathaway. <laughs> she's fine. She's actually really... She's perfectly fine in this, mm-hmm. but she is definitely... She's got the hardest draw. She's playing the straight man, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't really get a lot of the good lines. But, obviously, Meryl Streep and also... Emily Blunt are just mm-hmm. outstanding in this film. Yeah. So much fun. So for that, I think they are the reason this film is as revered as it is. I think otherwise it would be less well regarded, I mm-hmm. think. 
and the, you know the racing is pretty good in places. You know, there's some really good lines, but yeah. nice, nice standing lines. There are actually actually some brilliant lines. Yeah. Mm. Which Emily Blunt and Meryl Streep absolutely relish. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think Meryl's definitely got some of the best lines in the in the whole thing. I think my favourite bit of hers is sort of midway through when Anne Hathaway comes in in that blue jumper mm-hmm. and just calls fashion stuff or something yeah. like that, and then Meryl Streep just goes on a whole massive rant, oh. but, but without breaking like her emotion or anything. Oh, that's one of the greatest speeches of all mm. time. Like that is such a good scene, like, yeah. and it's so well delivered. That I think that was our Oscar clip, yeah, and deservedly so. Yeah, I'm sure, mm-hmm. mm. absolutely. Here, it's a tough call. They're so different. Mm. <laughs> Something funny? No. No, 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 nothing's, you know, it's just the, both those belts look exactly the same to me, you know, I'm still learning about this stuff and, uh... <laughs> this stuff? Oh. Okay, I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back, but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's not turquoise, it's not lapis, it's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns, and then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who showed cerulean military jackets? I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Um, So I guess uh, for a bit of a plot summary, Mm -hmm. so Anne Hathaway is somebody who has, I think, just got the job as the assistant, or she... She's interviewing for the job, I think. She's interviewing... I don't remember any point where someone says, you've got the job, well done. No, I think Emily Blunt kind of gives her a look that says, you've got the job, but... Mm. Well, I think she was assigned to the job, but she still needed to pass a... So it's sort of like a trial shift sort of thing. Possibly. Well, she has to have an interview with Miranda Priestley, the Meryl Streep character, sort of. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how these things work. It's said that she'd been sent over from HR. I'm guessing she was, like, Mm. from a temping agency or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a bit confusing how everybody's always like, oh yeah, a million girls were killed for this job. Yeah. Like, well, why have none of them got it? Well, I think that's the thing. Right? Why has Anne Hathaway got it? Just look at the draw, I don't know. But anyway, Anne Hathaway has got this job in a fashion magazine called Runway. Yeah. Um, and she's one of two assistants. She's the, the number two assistant behind mm-hmm. Emily Blunt mm-hmm. for Miranda Priestley, which is Mel Streep's character. Yes. And Miranda Priestley, I believe is based on a real person. Yeah, Anna Winter, yes. Okay. And Runway is basically a stand-in for Vogue. It's basically Vogue magazine, in sure. all the names, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, because this is based on a book that was written by a woman called Lauren Weisberger, mm-hmm. who was an intern or an assistant for a brief period for Anna Winter, and I believe got fired, and then wrote this kind of thinly-veiled novel that was obviously about Anna Winter. Yeah. And then it became a bestseller, and then it became a film. And yeah. this is that film. Great. Yeah, and so Miranda Priestley is the most impossible boss <laughs> ever, and everybody's scared of her. Like, you get introduced to her through 
a fantastic montage, mm. incredible montage of just Meryl Streep walking into a building. Mm-hmm. It's, and people fleeing. It's, like... it's so simple, but yeah. just so great as well. <laughs> I love Emily Blunt's reaction to it yeah. at the start. Because, I mean, I guess, surely it just happens every day. Yeah. Just like Meryl Streep comes. And well, I think the idea is that she's earlier than expected, so everyone's like, shit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I just love Emily Blunt. It's like, oh my god, she's coming. Tell everyone. <laughs> I mean, Emily Blunt it really. I comes... mean, everyone. Yeah. Emily Blunt really comes in hot at this film. Like yeah. she is like straight in at eleven, which I really mm. enjoyed. She was wearing so much eyeshadow. Yes. Such heavy, heavy eyeshadow. Yes. Yeah. Her whole look was great with the shoulder pads and like just the, the bony features. I believe it was her first major film role. Oh, this really? was a true breakout performance. Wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Good for her. I mean, I think that the first costume she was wearing, I did have to comment, is she a supervillain? She looks a lot like, like a vampire, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. Like a vampire or a supervillain, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I mean, it suits her. Definitely. I could totally see her in some kind of Marvel thing as a supervillain, definitely. Mm, yeah. That's a role she should play. Yeah, and so Meryl Streep is just walking into the building, everybody's running away from her, and, mm-hmm. you know, beforehand they've all put their heels on, you know, taking their slippers off and whatever. Yeah. I guess Anne Hathaway's just on this kind of trial shift with... Miranda Priestley and Hathaway has no sense of fashion no seemingly mm-hmm. yeah and just dresses like an absolute normal person <laughs> like an absolute normie yeah <laughs> what a absolute norm but luckily everybody's favourite gay best friend Stanley Tucci <laughs> is on hand Stanley Tucci yeah. typecasting himself for life in this performance like, yeah. <laughs> it, I love how it's basically the same performance he, do, he does a couple of years later in burlesque mm. literally the same yeah I'm, like, he's not even gay, but he just seems to play a lot of gays. I'm sure mm. he's in... Well, he's not... I don't think he's gay in The Hunger Games, but he's certainly flamboyant. Like, mm. he gets yeah. a lot of these kind of roles, I think. So. A friend of mine once saw him and his wife while his wife was breastfeeding at the home office in London. Oh, really? You know, his wife is Emily Blunt's sister. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. Wow. So, you, someone you know has seen Emily Blunt's sister's boobs, is what you're telling me. Mm, yeah. Great. Wow. Exciting story. Don't know where to go from that. <laughs> no, that's pretty... Unless there's more to that story. Right? Nope. <laughs> Yeah, yeah so, uh, so Stanley Tucci is fantastic. I guess he's just one of the designers. Well, he's certainly high up on the editorial team. I mm. don't remember what his exact job is, but he seems like Miranda's favourite. Yeah. Well, if she if she's capable of having a favourite, or maybe the one who pisses her off the least. like Something like that, <laughs> She yeah. seems to be, he, he seems to be the most in tune with her various whims and, demands, and her taste as well. I reckon that they're absolutely friends, but just she doesn't show it. Yeah. I, I doubt that she would show that she's friends with anybody. Yeah. I think one of the things in this film is that I think... Miranda Priestly respects people who don't fear her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why Emily Blunt never quite gets ahead because mm. she has utmost respect, but she's terrified of her. Mm. And so Meryl doesn't have any respect, or Miranda has no respect for her. Mm. Whereas I feel like that's probably why her and Anne Hathaway form something of a bond. I mean, mm-hmm. a bond's probably too close a word, but you know, there's a certain grudging respect that occurs in the film because mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway isn't actually particularly scared of her. Like, mm. she's trying really hard to impress her, but she's not terrified in the way that Emily Blunt is terrified of her. And I think something that Snow she's the same. I don't think he's as scared of her. I think he's able to somewhat just relax around her as much as anyone possibly could. So mm. that's probably why. Yeah. That was the vibe I got anyway. Yeah. And so he helps Anne Hathaway out by... <laughs> makeover, makeover. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like the way that Anne Hathaway asked for it as well. Like, she just gave him a look and he's like, no, mm-hmm. no, not happening, ne- never happening. And then cut to montage. So it's, makeover it's, montage. It's yeah. literally happening. <laughs> You think this is just a magazine? Hmm? This is not just a magazine. This is a shining beacon of hope for... Oh, I don't know. Let's say a young boy growing up in Rhode Island with six brothers pretending to go to soccer practice when he was really going to sewing class and reading Runway under the covers at night with a flashlight. 
You have no idea how many legends have walked these halls. And what's worse, you don't care. Because this place, where so many people would die to work, you only deign to work. And you want to know why she doesn't kiss you on the forehead and give you a gold star on your homework at the end of the day. Wake up, sweetheart. Okay, so I'm screwing it up. Mm. I don't want to. I just wish that I knew what I could do to... Nigel. 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 No. There's then also the montage of her walking to work now that she's learnt fashion. Yes, essentially. Yeah, which is basically a costume um, montage. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just she changes costume every time the camera looks at her. You know, yeah. a car goes past, she's in a different costume. Yes. And then she arrives at work in what must be the 20th costume of this montage. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts looking at her as though it's the first time she's dressed up. I'm like, well, what about those other ones? Yeah. What happened there? <laughs> Is this a film told out of time? Maybe, or? yeah, maybe she didn't have the confidence to walk into the office. She was just like, sure, sure, practicing sure, sure, on the streets and then she yeah. just put a big jumper over the top of everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, that's a good point. I don't know. Well, I was puzzled as to why... So this the makeover happens quite late in the film because she does go to work dressed very much in a film version of like looking dowdy. So she's wearing like big chunky knit sweaters and like these hideous skirts one of the many times she gets in trouble she goes to Stanley Catucci like in tears like she hates me she hates me and then he gives her this big pep talk and then she talks him into giving her a makeover and I was like well if we've established one thing it is that you are working very very hard like you've just gotten a load of trouble how have you now got time to just sack off work for a few hours to get a full not just makeover but like her she got a haircut she must have left Mm -hmm. the office like Mm -hmm. she got new makeup everything like she had a full makeover I was like was there no filings to be done that day? No, like, I guess not. No, <laughs> no phones to pick up? Like, where was Emily Blunt? Yeah. Yeah, and so then from there... Oh, yeah, so there's also this uh, this Paris trip that Emily Blunt has been talking about mm. since minute one of the film. Yes, she's very excited um, for that. Well, you've missed over all of the ridiculous demands that Meryl makes, which I think are pretty funny. Oh, remind me. She walks in the office every day and just flings her coat and bag theatrically onto the mm. desk. She always has, like, seven or eight different demands at once and she just kind of reels them off and Emily Blunt and Anne Halfway just have to be psychic essentially. Yeah. But yeah the main the first one is that she's at Anne Halfway's at dinner with her dad and she gets a call that Meryl's stranded somewhere where there's like a hurricane. Oh, yeah, like Florida or something. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a, she's and she's like, get me a plane and then she all the planes are grounded because it's literally a hurricane. Mm-hmm. And you just see Meryl going like, it's it's just drizzling and you just see like lightning flashing yeah. and like palm trees being uprooted. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one where she gets in trouble that makes her get the makeover. Mm-hmm. That's when when Meryl finally gets back, or Miranda finally gets back. Yeah, she gets basically told that she's a disappointment. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then is that the the point where she says, oh, I, "I want my twins to have the um, the new Harry Potter book"? No, that's the second time. So is the makeover, okay? she just gets the makeover because she gets shouted at, or not shouted at. She mm. gets you know put down by Meryl. Then she gets in trouble even more when she takes the book. The Book of Vogue, or Vogue uh, yes, that's it. to Meryl's house, and she's instructed to leave it on the desk. But the evil shining twins, they mm-hmm. are Meryl's children in this mm-hmm. film, uh, trick her into taking it upstairs, and she overhears Meryl having a domestic with her husband, mm-hmm. and that's and and it's that's caught. a huge yeah. deal, yeah, yeah. And that, through that, Meryl decides to punish her by making her go and find the new Harry Potter transcript. Yeah, <laughs> by which she means the unreleased book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not, <laughs> not even just the latest book. Yeah. Yeah, which obviously Anne Hathaway tries a little bit and then gives up very quickly and she's just like, well, I guess I'm fired. And she yeah. just, you know, calls her boyfriend and she's like, I'm fired, this is great. Yeah. We can, you know, carry on our relationship now without any problems. Mm-hmm. 
We'll get to the boyfriend. I have strong thoughts about the boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. And then, luckily, this uh, this other guy that she met at some fashion party. We're all with a sleazy, sleazy sleazeball with the alarming eyebrows. Yeah. yeah. His eyebrows were so weird. They were what? so alarming. Were they on Upside Down? It felt like that. and I, I, feel, I don't know if he, like, dyed them. I, it, it looked like... Everything in the film was lit from above, but his eyebrows, just his eyebrows, were lit from below. <laughs> yeah, they had their own spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it looked like. It was just mm. unnerving. I found him profoundly unattractive. Mm, yeah. I, I, it made it hard for me to accept that she would have any interest in him, like mm-hmm. because he just was so sleazy and mm-hmm. so like slimy, such an obvious slime ball. I mean, he does. Yeah, he does manage to save the day because he's a mm. he's a journalist. Yeah, like he knows somebody in publishing. He, he knows somebody knows someone who knows J.K. Rowling's illustrator or something. And yeah, that's yeah, that's it. The illustrator has access to the entire book, which seems yeah. unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not like the illustrator of a Roald Dahl novel, no. where like every page is pictures. No, 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 sure. Um, no, it's it's Harry Potter where there is just a cover, and this is like. Presumably, Harry Potter's like five or six books deep at this point. You mm. know those manuscripts were like lock and key, oh, yeah. guards with guns. There's no way the illustrator was just like, yeah, take it for a few hours, photocopy it. Just yeah. you know, don't tell anyone. Like, yeah, there was no way. Yes, but I mean, and so then, so all this happens in the space of I don't know a, a couple hours or something. Yeah, 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 you know, Meryl's like, oh, when I get back this afternoon, yeah, I, I want I want two copies of this on my on my desk for the twins to read. Yeah, Meryl gets back, and not only is Anne Hathaway given up, quit her job for a while. <laughs> Come back. Well, had to go and borrow the transcript from somebody, maybe on the other other side of town. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Go and get it photocopied three times mm-hmm. and bound as well, just mm-hmm. to make it look nice. Delivers one to Merrill and delivers two to the twins, yeah. who are already on a train somewhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. Spoiler alert: It does turn out that Anne Halfway is the Flash. So ah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's how she does that. <laughs> this is definitely a film to like not watch critically. Like, to just suspend all disbelief and just yeah. be like, you know, sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a good time. Pretty clothes. Good one-liners. Nothing else matters particularly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Meanwhile, Emily Blunt's been having her own thing where she's uh, she's had a cold um, <laughs> quite, well, quite, quite, quite badly in what looks like it could be kind of contagious. And so, yeah. you know, Miranda's just like, I'm going to stay away from that, please. <laughs> um, I think her line is an incubus of viral plague, which I steal <laughs> all the time. I love that line. <laughs> yeah. And so Emily Blunt gets knocked down to assistant number two, I think. Yeah. Well, she doesn't get actively demoted, I think. No, yeah. I, I, I noticed that she didn't actually get demoted, but she was then doing those tasks. And mm. Miranda started dropping her bag and coat on her desk instead. Yeah. Um, I think she just likes playing mind games as Meryl. Like, yeah. I think she likes torturing Emily Blunt a lot. Yeah. And so then Meryl has a conversation with Anne Hathaway saying mm. that, like, you're going to come to Paris with me mm-hmm. instead of Emily. Yeah. And uh, you've got to tell her. Yeah. Again, and, mind games. Yeah. Mind games. Like. Uh, which is just horrible. Like, yeah. as far as I'm halfway, I'd have been like, yeah, no. <laughs> I'll, I, I will quit. You can do your own dirty work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then uh, Anne Hathaway is really trying to tell her. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to tell her every moment, and eventually she calls her uh, while Emily is, you know, just buying something from the shops or something like that mm-hmm. for Miranda. She's just running around New York, and she gets hit by, I think, a taxi. Yeah, which is actually kind of a lucky break for Anne Hathaway. Yeah, because then it, I, didn't, I didn't understand why it then cut to her telling Emily Blunt what's happening when clearly Emily Blunt this is like a, such an easy way out. It's like oh great, mm. well you know, well it's a shame you got hit by that car. I guess you can't go to Paris now, you know. Mm, yeah, but uh, no, she decides to tell her anyway. So now she's just yeah. even more pissed off, which is well, I mean, good Fran Hathaway for being honest. Well, I mean, if someone's just been hit by a car, do you really want to hit them with more bad news? Mm, yeah. 
don't know. I don't know. You're, you're pretty blunt. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, that pretty much decides that Anne Hathaway is going to go to Paris, and mm-hmm. she does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily Blunt has a great little meltdown in the hospital bed, though. Yeah, because the whole thing is that like she she doesn't eat. So, like so that whole that's that. Oh yeah, she's got to maintain her size four or whatever she is. Size zero, I think it's supposed to be or whatever. Yeah, and she's obviously very skinny. I think she said that they were always saying like a size four or two, so maybe it's size two. Yeah, oh yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, very thin anyway, alarmingly thin. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because she has that great line about how she's um, the diet she's on is that she eats nothing until she feels like she's about to faint, and then she eats a whole block of cheese. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, which is. It's all in the delivery, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, there's just that great scene in the hospital bed of her like shoveling chocolate yogurt into her mouth and then just like tearing at bread, just being like, "You eat carbs." <laughs> <laughs> she, she's having a full meltdown, and I yeah. really enjoyed it. You know what really just gets me about this whole thing is that you know you're the one who said that you don't really care about this stuff, and you don't really care about fashion. You you just want to be a journalist. I- and what a pile of bollocks! Emily, I know you're mad. I don't blame you. Face it, Andy. You sold your soul the day you put on that first pair of Jimmy Choo's. I saw it. And do you know what really just kills me about this whole thing? It's the clothes that you're gonna get. I mean, mm, you don't deserve them. You eat carbs, for Christ's sake. God! So unfair. Yeah, and so Anne Hathaway goes to Paris with Miranda mm-hmm. and goes to see all the fashion shows in Paris and whatever's whatever's going on in Paris. Yeah, fashion shows. Sure. Couture. It makes Paris look way nicer than it actually is. Yeah, films often do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why people go to Paris, because films make Paris look... Film lies lovely. to them, yeah. Yeah. Like, nobody got pickpocketed once. Nope. Or was tried to sell, like, tiny little statues of the well, I Apple was, Tower. Well, I was thinking as well that when... Anne Hathaway gets her makeover, makeover, makeover. She's wearing so much, like, really chunky jewellery. Mm-hmm. And she's just walking around New York with this huge chunky jewellery on. And I'm like, you are asking to be mugged. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely begging to be mugged. Mm-hmm. You're, it, you're so vulnerable right now. It was, well, obviously, not that kind of film. So, yeah, they're in Paris. And, uh, well, I kind of forget. Actually. It's pretty much the end of the film, but what happens? So she's broken up with her horrible boyfriend. Oh, yeah. So she, she's a bit adrift. And then she runs into the sleazy, scary eyebrows writer guy who's also in Paris for the shows mm-hmm. uh, they sleep together and then he kind of lets slip well there's that classic kind of thing where she's getting out of bed and oh the evidence is on the floor just mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh, and it turns out that he's working with the owner of the magazine to kind of push Miranda out of her job mm-hmm. and replace her with a French rival Jacqueline yeah so Anne Hathaway totally panics goes to tell Meryl oh before that she has like that little moment with Meryl where Meryl's husband leaves her mm-hmm. and she's getting a divorce so she, Anne Halfway goes into the hotel room and sees Miranda wearing no makeup whatsoever mm-hmm. like very very different to how she normally looks mm-hmm. and she kind of gets a bit vulnerable for a moment and says that she's getting divorced and she feels really bad about the kids and stuff and she has a little human moment Yeah. but yeah, then after that Anne Halfway finds out that Meryl's about to get fired so she races all over Paris to try and tell her and Meryl's just like being very objectionable just being like go away I don't want to talk to you right now mm-hmm. it turns out she already knew yeah. and then it turns out what she did Meryl was she manages to save her job by throwing Stanley Tucci under the bus because mm-hmm. he was supposed to be getting this another really prestigious job mm-hmm. that he's been waiting for for years and then Meryl made sure that her French rival took that job instead Yes. and then she basically blackmailed the publisher by saying that if you ever find me everyone who I've ever worked with will come with me and you'll have nobody who will be in the mm-hmm. magazine anymore. Mm-hmm. So she wins and mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway's concern is useless. 
But uh, then Anne Hathaway feels kind of bad for Stanley Tucci, mm-hmm. and she kind of confronts Meryl about it. She's like, but Stanley Tucci's reaction to this is really good. It's really, really good. Yeah, mm. I'm surprised he doesn't find out sooner. Like, it feels like he finds out when Meryl gives this speech at the party. Mm-hmm. I was like, surely there's contracts to be signed and things. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Again, it's true. the magic of yeah. magic of films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, no, he's really good in this scene when he's you see his hopes just like fade in, in his eyes, and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, she'll pay me back one day when the time's right. He's like, do you believe that? I have to. You know, like, yeah. yeah. It was really good. Yeah, really yeah. Good. He, was, he was great. We at Runway are very proud to have been... When the time is right, she'll pay me back. You sure about that? No. But I hope for the best. Meryl throws Stanley Tucci under the bus. and halfway confronts her about it a little bit and says, I could never do what you did to... What was mm-hmm. his character called? Stanley Tucci plays Nigel. Oh, I could never do what you did to Nigel, she says. And then Beryl's like, you already did to Emily. Mm. Basically, she makes Anne Hathaway confront the fact that she's absolutely complicit in this world of backstabbing. And, you know, and Anne Hathaway has a moment of realisation and she finally quits her job. Mm-hmm. She walks out the taxi. She quits her job in probably the worst the worst time to do so for Miranda. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, quite intentionally, but... Also throws her phone in a fountain, which... Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you think she'd get billed for that like, and also she's in Paris she's got to get around yeah that's going to be a really awkward flight home yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she's not allowed to sit next to her but like, I'm sure she has the flights booked oh yeah that's yeah. it I didn't really think of that yeah. yeah and she can't even phone anyone to like get new flights like she's made a huge mistake um, but anyway she yeah so she quits the job and then the film ends with her interviewing for a new job at a like a New York Times-y kind of you know mm-hmm. newspaper yeah because that's what she always wanted to be a serious journalist she never really wanted to work in fashion she was just trying to get some doors opened yeah and she interviews for this job and they're like well what the hell was that less than a year of, of runway all about and she says yeah I kind of screwed that one up and then the editor reveals that he's spoken to Miranda Priestley and she said he should absolutely hire her mm-hmm. so a little moment of uh, mutual well, respect no, it, was a, it was a weird review uh, reference mm-hmm. because Miranda said something like Oh yeah, Anne Hathaway has been my biggest disappointment. Yeah, but you'd be mad not to hire her. Yeah, or something like that. Which mm-hmm. is just that's kind of that's odd. Well, that's that's her style, isn't it? Would She's you... never going to be give just give you know complete praise. Mm. It's going to be an insult, but also with you know help up the ladder a bit. But yeah, so clearly that's the way to get ahead with powerful people. Just dump them at their most vulnerable moments, and mm. then throw a very expensive phone into a fountain, mm-hmm. and they will absolutely recommend that you get hired by the next person you work for. That's going to happen. Yeah. Just after that, Meryl walks out of her building into her car, makes eye contact with Anne Hathaway across the road. Mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway waves and smiles and, you know, is just Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Miranda doesn't respond like that at all. And then when she's in her car with her tinted windows, we see her cracking her first smile of the movie. A hint of a smile. Yeah, it's not a hint of a smile. It's a strong smile. Oh, okay. It's a pretty strong smile, okay. yeah. But then as soon as the driver says something, like she instantly goes right back to pouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been funny if she'd just been like, Hiya! Yeah. <laughs> hey, babes! <laughs> Did you get the job? <laughs> Did you get my reference? <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's, uh, that's how the film finishes. Indeed, yeah. Um, I mean, it's very, very formulaic. Mm, mm. But it's a good time. I would say that the first half is better than the second half. I would say once Emily Blunt's not in it anymore, mm. it takes a noticeable dip for me. Yeah. Just because Emily Blunt's so good, so much fun to watch. Well, it just gets into plot at that point. Yeah. It, it, it initially, it's all just sort of, here's this new world that we can Yeah, explore. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really care about the plot around Halfway's character. Fair enough. So when it got to that bit, I was kind of like, yeah, give me more bitchiness and fun clothes. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
couldn't do what you did to Nigel Miranda. I couldn't do something like that. You already did. To Emily. That's not what I... No, that, that was different. I didn't have a choice. Oh, no, you chose. You chose to get ahead. You want this life? Those choices are necessary. But what if... this isn't what I want? I, I mean, what if I don't... I want to live the way you live. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Andrea. Everybody wants this. Everybody wants to be us. Great. Um, are you ready to get some, to some drinking games before sequels, or do you have one or two things to talk about? No, no, let's go to drinking games. Lovely. So, the uh, first one I've got is drink whenever anybody refers to Meryl or Miranda in the third person. Yeah, that's good. Do you mean just like she's coming or yeah stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. It's like she's she who must not be named. Like, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's very good. First obvious one for me: drink for montages. I mean, they do make oh, yeah. up fifty percent of this movie. Yes, with the most like two thousand and seven soundtrack. soundtrack. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. so of its moment. Like, so what's, Kate... what's what's the soundtrack for the montages? We got Vogue by Madonna. Yeah, which obviously. isn't to be fair, isn't a two thousand and seven song. But it was obviously a very obvious choice. Uh, there was that. Jump Kate... from Madonna. That was from that album. Shout out to the sure. Time. We got Katie Tunstall. Yes, yeah, certainly I see, which has been in my head all week thanks to this goddamn film. <laughs> Uh, God, what else is there? I, I, I nearly saw Katie Tunstall live once at uh, Shrewsbury Folk Festival. Uh-huh. She didn't turn up because her dad died, and also uh-huh. I got kicked out of the festival. So. Well, bad weekend for both of you. Yeah, unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Uh, I can't remember what else there is, but it's all very much songs in that vein. Just yeah. like hits of 2007. Sure. A lot. Um, okay, next I've got is drink anytime anybody looks anywhere else up and down. Ooh, that's good, yeah. Just essentially looks at anybody not into their eyes, just like, what are you wearing, sort of thing. Most scenes with Meryl or Emily Mm. doing that, yeah. I mean, I think when anybody walks into a room that Meryl's in, the first thing she does is just have a quick look at them, which is... Oh, yeah, definitely. Nice, nice subtle bit of acting. Definitely. Oh, she does great face work in this film. Her eye work is spot on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Similarly, I'd want to drink drink for Meryl's side eye. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Drunk for old phones. Mm, yeah, older than 2007 films. Mm, yeah. yeah, like Blackberries were still a thing back then. So, yeah. yeah, you get a lot of Blackberries, don't you? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Drink anytime the boyfriend belittles Anne Hathaway's dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is. This is where I want to talk about the boyfriend. He is awful. <laughs> he is such a dick. Yeah. I really. It. It's funny because I was when I was doing the social media for this episode, like to get the listener submissions and stuff. I referred to it as a rom com, mm. and then I thought to myself. Is this still a rom-com? It's not. It's not, is it? It's I, not. I keep wanting to refer to it like that as well, but... I think we're just conditioned to think, which is a bad thing, to think that films like aimed at women have to always be rom-coms. Because mm, this yeah. is obviously a film aimed at women mostly. Yeah. But no, it's not at all, because the rom and it's, it is between her and Meryl. Not mm. that it's a romantic rom, but you know, that, that's the relationship. That's the relationship, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the, yeah, the boyfriend, it's, it's a horrible, toxic relationship, and he's awful, and it's mm. also not very important to the film, thankfully, because mm. I didn't need any more of him. No. But yeah, he was so petulant and... Or, like, I think they could have done quite an interesting story about somebody taking, like, a job that was, you know, they didn't really want, but that they knew was an opportunity and how the strain that puts on their relationship and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of work-life balance. You know, she misses her boyfriend's birthday, which does suck, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she doesn't get to spend a lot of time with her friends. which All that's meet for quite an interesting story. But because the boyfriends and the friends as well are all so unlikable and so they just have no... They seem to have no empathy for her situation whatsoever. It makes it really one-sided. Mm, yeah. And I hate the scene at the end when he, she comes crawling back to him 
and he's like, she's like, I was an asshole. And she's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, you were. <laughs> like, at no point does he admit any kind of responsibility for being too hard on her or mm-hmm. like, you know, for not standing by her and supporting her. It, I thought he just came across as a really unpleasant character. Mm. Didn't like him at all. Yep. There are no good men in this film, apart from the gay man. So. Apart from Stanley Tucci. Apart from Stanley Tucci, yeah. yeah. The only good man in the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, next one I've got is Drink Anytime Emily Blunt reminds Anne Hathaway how much better she is. Oh, yes. Again, I've got every time Emily Blunt unleashes a sick burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I will deal with all of this, and you will go to Calvin Klein. Uh, me? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have some prior commitment? Some hideous skirt convention you have to go to? <laughs> No. <sighs> oh, thank God it's Friday, right? At least Miranda will be in Miami, so we don't have to be on call this weekend. You know, my dad's coming in from Ohio. Yeah, we're gonna go out to dinner and maybe see Chicago. You doing anything fun this weekend? Yes. I promise. It's the twins said hello, so I said hello back, and then I... Went up the stairs to give her the book and... uh... You went upstairs. You went upstairs. Oh my God, why didn't you just climb into bed with her and ask for a bedtime story? I have four hours to get the impossible manuscript. Smith & Molenskis doesn't open until 11.30. How am I going to get the steak? Okay, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wish me luck. No, shan't. Uh, Last one I've got is uh, anytime Meryl says, that's all. Mm, That's good. Uh, My last one is drink anytime Meryl puts on or removes her glasses. Hmm. You will be hammered. Yep, okay, sure. <laughs> you will be absolutely hammered. <laughs> um, cool, great stuff. So, right, before we get to some sequels, just want to let you listeners know that we are available on Patreon.com. Mm-hmm. If you were to go to Patreon.com slash Beyond the Box Set, then you can find bonus shows from us where we review cinema releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the most recent one we've done as of this episode probably be Pet Cemetery, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, or our but, free Avengers episode as well came out recently. Yeah, we've done uh, an Avengers Endgame spoiler review, which is free for anybody to listen to. Was, I don't know, maybe a little trial or something. Yeah, sure. See, see how you like um, our bonus episodes. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of free episodes. They're not always there. as long as that one, but you know. No, they're not. <laughs> Harry had a lot to talk about. Normally so. half that length. Yeah. Yeah, so that's good. But then uh, so are most films. So. Pardon? So are most films, to well, be fair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> also, if you become a Patreon, then you get to have a 30-second advert slot on the main show mm. once a month, for which you can advertise anything you want. could be your podcast, a friend's podcast, your own business, or just, you know, whatever you feel like talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and at this juncture, I would like to... This is normally your job, but I don't think I've prepped you for it, so I'll do it this week. If you do want to advertise something, you can record a 30-second ad slot that we'll put into the show. But also, if you don't have that available or don't want to we can just promote it for you uh, so one of our patrons a lovely man called Daniel Tickner from Australia who's mm-hmm. been on the show before we did the Wolf Children episode with him yep yeah. yeah. he has a podcast called uh, Aussie Nerd uh, and you can find that on all good podcasting platforms just search Aussie Nerd uh, I've been on the show I think you're going to be on at some point aren't you I'm hoping to, to record this week actually oh great cool mm-hmm. so yeah we'll both be on it at some point Mine, I already have I was talking about my favourite film in the whole world mm-hmm. Muriel's Wedding which was a lot of fun so yeah, just search uh, Aussie Nerd podcast and uh, check out Daniel's work. It's very, very good. Right. Um, thank you for your support, Daniel. <laughs> thank you, Daniel. And uh, yeah, finally, the uh, the third thing you get as a Patreon supporter, mm-hmm. you get to pick an episode for us mm-hmm. uh, once a month. Yes. Uh, so w- once a month, we pick out a different Patreon. And um, yeah, they can, they can guest on the show if they want to. If not, we'll just do it. And uh, yeah, that's just... Yeah, that's it. I keep saying and. That's no, it. no, it's like you're improvising. Yes, and. Yeah. Yes, and. <laughs> Never know. Never full stop. So all that is available at patreon.com slash beyond the box set. You can donate as much or as little as you want and get everything. Indeed. Cool. Okay, so sequels. You're first for the 
I am first this week. For a while, yeah. For the first time in a while, I'm first. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this film is based on a book Mm -hmm. that was written by Lauren Weisberger, who worked for Anna Wintour at Vogue, I believe got fired, wrote this thinly veiled memoir about her experiences. That became a huge bestseller. Then it became a hit film starring Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. So I thought for the sequels of this film, I thought it might be fun to go a little bit meta. So this movie, the sequel, picks up roughly 10 years after the events of the original, so more mm-hmm. or less present day. And Anne Hathaway's character... What was she called again? Andy. Andy. Anne Andy Sachs. Ca- Andy Sachs. It sounds like a department store. Yeah. Um, Andy Sachs. Well, it sounds like Goldman Sachs. Yeah, possibly. That's probably what I'm thinking. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so she is now working as a journalist. Mm-hmm. But she never really hit the big time. Like, she got into print journalism, she's doing news, but like like most journalists... She doesn't make a lot of money. It's not a very glamorous job, even though most films make it look like the most glamorous job in the world. Mm-hmm. In reality, it's not. It's hard. It's very low paid. Yeah. So she's kind of a struggling New York journalist, and she's just been laid off from the paper she works at due to budget cuts. Because again, print journalism is losing money hand over fist. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a very hard industry to be in these days. So she loses her job. She's so short of cash. She's kind of depressed, and she doesn't really know what to do next. So she's a bit of a crossroads in her life. Yeah. And so... Her friend... Well, I'm, first of all, I'm writing up the boyfriend. He was an asshole. He's not sticking around. That was, relationship was clearly doomed. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that the only friend who survives from the first film is the gay. Stanley Tucci. Not Stanley Tucci, sorry. No, the other gay. Or maybe he wasn't gay. They were never clear on it. Oh, I think he was gay. Uh, one of her friends. The, the, the gay friend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the slightly trippier um, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was gay as well. I'm pretty sure he was. Because yeah. I think the, the, the other girl introduces him to a guy at one point. Mm. Like... Yes. I don't think you see it, but I think she's like, no. oh, I've got someone I want you to meet. Yeah, I think it's just heavily implied, because he knows yeah. all the fashion stuff. And, yeah, not yeah. to stereotype, but yes. Anyway, that, he seemed like the only friend who wasn't an arsehole. He was the only one who seemed to appreciate that she had a really good job. and then, mm-hmm. you know, So he can stay. He can, he can be the friend that she sticks around with. Yeah. So he kind of suggests to her that you know she should use her newfound free time to maybe write a book, since she's a really good writer. Maybe mm-hmm. that'll be a more productive way to make a living. And so she kind of says, well, I don't know what I'm going to write about. You know, I don't have any, any ideas. And he says, well, why didn't you write about the time that you worked for Miranda Priestley? That was kind of an interesting little chapter in your life. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure people would be interested to read about that. Because, mm-hmm. of course, Miranda Priestley in this film is still famous, you know, much as Anna Wintour, you know. Yeah. Still head of Vogue, still head of Runway, you know. So she's sceptical at first, but it is probably the most interesting thing that's ever happened in her life. So she's like, well, sure, she gives it a go. Then she has to write the book, which we'll cover with a good old montage. Mm-hmm. What's a good montage song for, like, writing a book? Paperback writer. <laughs> Very on the nose. Like. <laughs> sure, yeah. Something, you know, I don't know. The, the, just get a montage of her just like at a typewriter or something. Even though nobody writes books on a typewriter anymore in 2017. Oh my God. But just, yeah, it's it's the, again, it's the magic of cinema. Yeah. She, she's writing. Just say that we're in 2017. Sorry, if, if, if this is 10 years after the original, there's the. Oh, right, okay. okay. It doesn't matter. This isn't time specific, particularly. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We do the montage, she writes the book, and it gets published. So several months later, she finishes it, and it's picked up right away. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a huge, huge success, because all the hype around it being an expose of the fashion industry and about this mysterious but well-known magazine writer just make it a huge success. Yeah. Because that Anna Wintour, the head of Vogue, who it's supposed to be about, was already very well-known, and she did have this very famous reputation of being very kind of demanding and hard to work with and you know very particular so it was really like people were really interested in this like look behind the curtain mm-hmm. so that's why the book sold millions and millions and so this is what the, this does the same yeah just sure. this film follows that so the book is a huge success and she's written it as a piece of fiction much like The Devil Wears Prada is technically fiction mm-hmm. but everyone obviously sees through straight away that it's about Miranda Priestley yeah and in fact we're going to see now just after maybe the mon- there'll be a second montage of like the book being published and you'll obviously have the the obligatory like you know the presses or all the books being pressed and then 
going into the stores, you know, all the things you always see in these things. Mm-hmm. And and then we're going to have ha- have a shot of Meryl as Miranda Priestly, like reading the book. And we'll just have her reading the book and she can just do all the acting in her eyebrows. Just her eyebrows can just get higher and higher and higher. <laughs> I think that'd be a fun scene. Yep, a fun sure. shot. Yeah. <laughs> so the, yeah, the book comes out, it's a huge success. Everyone knows what it's really about. And because it's so successful, it is very quickly optioned for a movie. Okay. So now they're making a movie within a movie. <clears throat> yep. Of the Devil Wears Prada. Yep. So I thought this would be this is going to be the meat of the film because I thought it'd be kind of fun. In the first film, Anne Hathaway gets dragged into the ridiculous world of fashion, and you know, in this film, she's going to get dragged into the ridiculous world of Hollywood and filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But she'll be like a producer on her own film, so she'll be, you know, she won't be directing it, but she'll be having a creative voice in it. So she'll be. Obviously, there'll be loads of changes made that she doesn't, she's not happy about, and she'll have to witness all the insanity. So, kind of similar to the first, but different. Classic kind of, you know, let's tell the same story, but in a slightly different genre. Yeah. You know, like, like Speed 2 Cruise Control. Same story on a boat. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Not that that was a hugely successful film, but, you know. Anyway, so obviously we're going to have to cast the film within the film. So who's playing Miranda Priestley? You know, who's playing Meryl Streep as Miranda Priestley? Glenn Close. Obviously Glenn Close, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. It's obviously Glenn Close. For the, the Andy character... I was thinking maybe Amelia Clark. Yeah, I think she when she's not Game of Thronesing, she seems to have made a bit of a thing for herself. She's being a bit like kooky, yeah, ditzy and kooky. Yeah, I'm thinking of her in Me Before You again, yeah, like, the girl, like the girl, like the stunningly beautiful girl who just can't dress to save her life. You know, mm-hmm. just that kind of thing again. So yeah, and then I wasn't sure about Emily though. Like, that's a hard one. I was thinking maybe that girl from Fleabag, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Or... No, I don't know who that is. No, um... she's a hard one to recast. She's so perfect for the role. Like... Yeah. Anyway, we'll cast somebody. As Emily, I don't know. Yeah. Listeners, send any suggestions. Who could who could play a young Emily Blunt? Mm-hmm. So she's working on this film version of her book, and there's all kinds of craziness going on. Glenn is, of course, going completely over the top as mm-hmm. she does. You know, she's definitely not doing a, Mar- a Miranda Priestly, Meryl Streep thing. Because mm-hmm. what makes Meryl Streep's performance in this film, I think, brilliant, is that she never raises her voice. Yeah, it's all at this very soft level, and it makes it even more intimidating because yeah. she's so cosmically unbothered. Like nothing flaps her. So. I can't see Glenn Close doing that. I think Glenn Close would just be like screaming and chewing the scenery. You know, we've seen it in the past month. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of Glenn overacting. So I think that'd be quite fun. Yeah, especially with Anne Hathaway being like, she wasn't like this at all. Like you tell Glenn that <laughs> she's terrifying. Like. <laughs> sure. Mm. Obviously, Amelia Clark's just going to be falling over things all the time and doing eyebrow dancing. It was just mm-hmm. her standard rom com acting. Yeah, and I guess whoever we pick to do Emily Blunt is probably. Gonna be quite good at it. I don't know. Maybe she's just as scary as the character. Yeah. Or maybe she's like super nice, like sickly sweet. I don't know. There'll be something. Anyway, at some point she's going to run into actual Emily Blunt, mm-hmm. as in the character she played in the film, which was Emily. Emily. Oh, she was called Emily. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's easy to remember. She's going to run into Emily, who has left the fashion industry completely after having a complete nervous breakdown shortly after Andy left runway. Mm-hmm. She has gained a lot of weight. She has shaved her head. And she started a new career as a boom mic operator. Oh, right. Okay. I think, I think that would be stuff that Emily Blunt would have a lot of fun playing. <laughs> sure. Like she just completely, yeah. Yeah. Had a meltdown and just completely changed careers. So I like the idea of Emily Blunt with like a shaved head, which is like doing the most technical job in all of like film. Just like what's more like unstylish than being a boom mic operator. I just mm. think that'd be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd like it if Andy was still terrified of it, but for different reasons. Like. <laughs> so yeah, the film comes out and Andy goes to the premiere, of course, and she wrote it. And also, Miranda Priestley goes to the premiere. Okay. So we'll see her. Obviously, she's going to have a fabulous gown. We're going to have lots of fabulous Meryl gowns in this. Mm-hmm. We'll see her go up to Glenn Close and give her a big old fake hug and a double cheek kiss. You know, she's doing all the uh, the red carpet stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she'll kind of lock eyes with Andy and she'll just give her, like, the most withering gaze. Just the most, like, burn this flesh off the bone kind of gaze. You know, just a classic 
Miranda Priestly look. Yeah. And uh, obviously Andy shits herself a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, the film comes out. And even though she was kind of painted as a villain, to Andy's surprise, the Miranda Priestly character becomes like the breakout of the film. Much like in the original film. Everyone's favourite character is probably Meryl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she has all the best lines. And, you know, she's... So she gets kind of celebrated as a kind of classic example of like a powerful woman in the workplace. So it's a really well-received character. Glenn gets nominated for an Oscar, which of course she does not win. <laughs> and the real Miranda... It's, it's won by Miranda Priestley. It's won by Miranda yeah. <laughs> It's won by Meryl Streep in a dual role. Meryl <laughs> Streep playing herself as well. Just yeah. <laughs> and the real Miranda Priestley becomes an international icon, much like The Devil Wears Prada made Anna Wintour already well-known, but since The Devil Wears Prada, she really became like a... Probably the most famous person in her field in terms mm-hmm. of like not many magazine editors are famous, but she yeah. very much is. So then we'll have another little montage of Meryl going on all the chat shows while Andy's stopped watching at home because nobody wants to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And she's being asked about this hit film that's supposed to be based on her, even though it's not officially based on her. Mm-hmm. And she'll just be being really like catty and passive aggressive, like, I don't even really remember her. Mm-hmm. I have so many assistants, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is what Anna Wintour was like when the thing came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she came to, went to the premiere dressed entirely in Prada, so I think she had a good sense of humour about something. Great. <laughs> anyway, so Andy's feeling a bit put out, but on the plus side, she's loaded now, so, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, the book sold like hundreds of millions worldwide, it's crazy. And because the movie and film have both become this sensational hit, she's asked to interview Miranda for a major publication. So they want to reunite them. Mm-hmm. And obviously she's terrified, but also, like, this is her chance to actually break into proper highbrow journalism. Mm-hmm. It was like, obviously she was unemployed before she wrote the book, and now she's got a commission to write this feature that reunites her with Miranda Priestley. So she agrees reluctantly. And surprisingly, Miranda also agrees to the interview. Yep. So the film's going to end with kind of a full circle moment where we see Andy very nervously walking into the offices of Runway. All of the models and the fashion mavens who work there are just going to be like judging her and whispering because they all know who she is. She's, she's the one who wrote that book about their boss. Mm-hmm. And she's going to step into Miranda Priestley's office and Meryl's going to sit down, deliver another evil, withering gaze, take off her glasses, and then credits roll. Nice. Yeah. Nice, I like it. Yeah, I think that could be interesting. Yeah, that could be good fun. It's got a title? Well, I could name it after the second book that they write about, which is called Revenge Wears Prada. I mean, that could work. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Revenge Wears Prada could work. So, yeah. yeah, very good. Okay. All right, let's see. What have you got for me? Um, I have one that is, I mean, as yet untitled, because the only title I've got is Crap. Is it um, literally called Crap? or No. Okay. <laughs> The Devil Wears Crap. The Devil Wears Crap. I mean, it's something. (laughs) Um, No, so this one's going to be also set about 13 years later, which is the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And we start at Miranda's retirement party. Oh, wow, okay. Or retirement announcement or something. I don't know. So 30 years later. 13, I said. 13. Oh, I guess, yeah, that's fair. She's 70, sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, Meryl Streep's 70, so... Meryl Streep is about to be 70 in June. So theoretically, she could retire. I'm sure she never will. Yeah. Heaven forbid. Yeah. What would the Oscars do? Who would they award? I don't know, but... Glenn Close would throw the party they, of the century. They, like. they would have to do an immemorium at that point, just like Meryl Streep's career. I've always thought this, like when, you know, God forbid, when Meryl Streep does die, mm. whoever else dies that year is fucked. That memoriam is just going to be <laughs> well, maybe, well, Meryl maybe like rest. <laughs> maybe if like a few people just kind of all agree to just go on the same year. Mm. Like if you've got Meryl, like you've just, got Tom Hanks. Oh my God, like an A-list suicide pact. <laughs> Leo... <laughs> Leo, I mean, that's a rough deal for Leo. He's a cool 30 yeah. years younger than those people. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the only way the memoriam could still be kind of equal is if there's people of that calibre all dying at once. Yeah, that would be quite an Oscars, right? Mm. Right, 2023, here we come. Um, anyway, so this one is going to be set again 13 years later and we start Miranda's retirement party. Everybody who's anybody is there. Of course, of course. So there's plenty of famous models. We have um, lots of cameos. 
Of course, there's plenty of famous models like from real life 2019. Sure. There'll be plenty of heads of fashion, mm-hmm. um, esteemed designers, and of course, all the people that are loyal to Miranda. Great. Um, which will include Stanley Tucci and Emily Blunt. Oh, cool. Are they still working for her? Yeah. Great. Probably in the same roles. Probably, yes. <laughs> I can well imagine that. Yeah. Uh, Meryl... well, they're both going to be like any day now. Any day now that promotion yeah. is coming. <laughs> we believe it. Like... Uh, Meryl is really putting on a face to pretend that she's having a good time. But really, she's quite concerned that she doesn't actually have anybody to hand her life's work over to. Oh, I see, yeah. Um, she doesn't want to just let anybody take her role. She wants to She wants to choose of who course. that person is yeah. going to be. Okay. Is this like a Hunger Games scenario? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's fashion. It's, it's literally it's, the Hunger Games. <laughs> anyway, when, when the party finishes, she goes home and has a little talk with her husband about her predicament. He suggests that she tracks down Anne Hathaway, see if she'd be up for it. I'm just going to use Anne's names. Yeah, sure. And... Uh, Meryl replies that although she she did see herself in Anne Hathaway, she just she wasn't into fashion. Mm, I was going to say that's not a good like, choice for fashion. They both Meryl and Anne had a lot of passion, but not for the same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anne's passion was not for fashion. Yeah. Mm. Who else is there? Her husband asks. Mm-hmm. That's his his own his only part. So okay, fine. He doesn't need casting. <laughs> George Clooney, Anne. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Meryl Streep's actual husband, that guy who just sure yeah comes um, to the Oscars every year, always looks uncomfortable. So the next morning, she wakes up and she looks at the photo on her bedside of her two young twin girls from, Ooh. you know, quite a few years ago. Yeah. She gets up and, and she goes to see one of them. Here is where we meet Brie Larson. Oh, okay. Interesting choice. So, uh, like, 13 years ago... I worked it out, they'd be about 25. See, when they were 12 in the first film? They oh, might have been older than that. Oh, they'd fair be, enough, fair they'd enough. They'd be about 25. Brie Larson is 29. Fair enough. That, that's, that's passable. Yeah. yeah. yeah I she, think Brie Larson's older than she is. Yeah, I know, right? I feel like she's been, she's been around a long time, mm. so, yeah. Anyway. And she doesn't look 29. She doesn't. She looks... Not that she looks bad, but she definitely looks a little older than that, so... Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Brie Larson fans. I mean, obviously, you do look bad as soon as you turn 30 onwards, so, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's hell. So, mm. you know, enjoy it while it lasts, kiddo. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm struggling to look at you all time <laughs> <laughs> okay reel it back in anyway Brie Larson is a photographer living in her own studio mm-hmm. I've got some script here do you want to do some scripting sure who am I playing okay well you can play Brie Larson okay and you'll play Meryl Streep yeah there you go so from, from the top there you've got that first line okay hi mom what a nice surprise well I thought seeing as you didn't have the common decency to attend my retirement party I should pay you a visit so you have the chance to apologise and make it up to me I feel you should be a little bit more withering about this okay sure on Channel Merrill. Well, I've been busy, Mom. You know, with my studio. Yes, your studio. Merrill says, whilst pursing her lips. This is the first time you've had the decency to set foot in here, isn't it? Yes, I suppose it is. Well, it's about time I showed an interest in what you do. Mom, what do you want? <laughs> what? A mother can't come and visit her daughter without an ulterior motive? Brie Larson to this just gives her a frown. Do they have the same frown? Yeah, definitely. I think Brie Larson would be good playing Meryl Streep's daughter. Yeah. I'd like to see her, like, copying the mannerisms. Mm-hmm. I think she'd be very good at that. That'd be good. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm here to offer you my company. I want you to be the editor-in-chief of Runway and continue my legacy. Really? Brie Larson says with excitement and confusion. Mom, why have you come to me and not my sister? You know very well that I have basically no interest in fashion compared to her. I want you because you've got a good eye. Just look at these great photos. Meryl says while scanning through the nearest pile of prints she sees. Mom, that's my reject pile. We both know that you don't care for my photography. I will not take your place at Runway because, firstly, I would run the magazine into the ground, and more importantly, my sister is a much better choice. You need to realise that she is the best thing for Runway, and indeed the fashion industry on the whole. Ooh. Mm. That's good sizzle there. Yeah. With that, they say their goodbyes, and Meryl gets back into her Mercedes and is driven away. She goes to her other daughter's house. Her daughter, also living in a studio, is a fashion designer. Oh, okay. 
So, you know, a bit more appropriate, really. Sure, yeah. Uh, Why didn't she come to her first? Pardon? We're about to find out. Meryl takes a deep breath and knocks on the door. Mm -hmm. Her daughter answers and is played by Danielle McDonald, who you may know from Dumplin' or Bird Box. Oh, yes. The, the main girl from Dumpling. Yes. Oh, okay, I see. So she, that's why Meryl doesn't like it, because she's a bit more heavy set. Yes. Okay, sure. You know, she, she's not a four or a two. She's not a four or a two. Yeah, no. yeah once inside, Meryl asks her while pouting the whole time um, if she knows anyone who could take over Meryl's role at Runway. Mm -hmm. Danielle is clearly upset in the face, but doesn't say anything to convey that. She then gives Meryl a few names of other fashion designers that she knows. Mm -hmm. um, all people who are smaller in size than she is. Okay. So is she, this Danielle McDonald character, is she doing fashion, like standard fashion for skinny people, or is she doing plus size fashion? Plus size fashion. Okay. Meryl just blankly thanks her and leaves mm -hmm. uh, without asking her anything personal at all, you know, how she's doing, what she's oh, up yeah. to, or anything like that. She's such a disappointment. Mm. <laughs> and uh, just before she gets into her car, she stops and hesitates and turns around and goes back to her daughter. Oh. Her daughter lets her back in and has clearly just been crying. Oh. Meryl, without making any eye contact, says... Danielle, it, it was wrong of me to treat you the way I have done. I know you struggled to grow up without a consistent father figure, and me being the way I am. I would like to offer you the job as editor-in-chief at Runway, if you'll take it. Nobody else has quite the eye that you've got. Aw, that's very sweet. And Danielle, again crying, mm -hmm. uh, walks up to Meryl and gives her a big hug, which initially Meryl's quite uncomfortable about, but then hugs her back, and we see Meryl smiling again over oh, her shoulder. Oh, is that the end? I mean, that's pretty much the first half of the film. Oh, okay, I mean, so, okay. Uh, that, that's, that's all they've written, but... Okay. Yeah, the rest of it would pretty much be Danielle sort of taking over this job, and despite many, many people disagreeing with her, mm -hmm. you know, just doing what she wants to the runway magazine, which would be... Oh, I mean, that's yeah. interesting. So is she going to, like, try and change the fashion industry and make it more body positive? Mm. Oh, that could be fun. Yeah, because there'd be a lot of people against her. Yeah, I, absolutely, yeah. And I, I'd like to see her sort of go through that journey of, you know, learning to fight for herself and mm. for what she believes in. Yeah, and is she going to still have the Tooch and Emily Blunt as her oh, yeah, sister? Definitely. Yeah. So they're going to be horrified, obviously. Yeah, Emily Blunt, I think, would hate it all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Potentially be the villain of the piece. Probably, yeah. Whereas... And also she'll be bitter that she didn't get off of the job anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, big time, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Stanley Tucci, he can't be horrible, so... No, he won't be horrible, but he'll definitely he, he, be like... He, 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 would, he would be on board... Maybe not initially, but definitely by the Yeah, end. she'll win him round. She'll, she'll yeah. melt his heart a little bit, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And then, yeah, maybe she, she gives him that promotion at the end. I think so. I think, yeah, that, that would be nice. Yeah. I think it'd be fun though if she... Obviously, she's doing positive work. She's, you know, trying to make the fashion industry more inclusive. Mm -hmm. But it'd be fun if also, while she was doing it, she became a lot more like her mum. Mm. So she started being very demanding. Maybe she says, that's all, all the time. Like, you know. Well, I'd, I'd like to see... You know, her and Emily Blunt have just a bit of a, you know, just kind of arguments and stuff. Emily Blunt maybe starts treating her like Meryl from the get-go, mm -hmm. of just like, here's all your coffee and everything like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, then that kind of turns Danielle into Meryl Street by saying that's all at the end. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because mm -hmm. that's what Emily Blunt's expecting. Yeah. So, yeah, I could, I could see a lot of interesting things in, in this I idea. I think that'd be really good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Great. So, the awful title I've got is The Devil's Daughter Wears Prada. Mm, it's not great. No, it's not, <laughs> is it? It just doesn't roll off the tongue. How... The daughter wears Prada. The daughter wears Prada. Um, the angel wears sweatpants. Let's leave it untitled. Leslie, okay, sure. Yeah. Untitled Devil Wears Prada sequel. Yeah. Pitch, sure. Yeah. yeah, sure. Cool, cool. Okay, well, I guess that brings us on to listener submissions before yeah. we wrap up. What do you got? I've got plenty. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if this would be a big hit with the kind of people you Facebook group. What do you mean the kind of people? You know, nerds. <gasps> How dare you? Okay, so I've got a fair few here. I've not read through them yet, so, you know, in, in, enjoy the editing. I always do. Jerry Can, mm -hmm. good name, says, The Devil 2, Where's Harder? Where's Harder? That's nice, that's nice, yeah. <laughs> Jude Fox says, The Devil in the New City. 
Okay, too obscure. Like sex in the City kind of thing, maybe? Or, mm, or? Perhaps, I'm not sure. The Devil Wears Prada 2, Rise of Cromulon. Rise of the Cromulon? Mm. Sure, okay. That's, that, that's definitely got something with it. That's from uh, Chris Brown. Okay. Um, DJ Nichols says, God Wears Gucci. God Wears Gucci, that's, that's good. That's a good one. That's good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Colin Spenrith says, Jesus Buys Sneakers. Jesus Buys Sneakers, there you go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Christopher Pike says, Cupid is a nudist. Cupid is a nudist. Yep, don't really know what that means, but yeah. Oh, I get um, it. Angels, devils, Cupid, sure. Yeah. Sure. Oh, and Cupid is a nudist. He's naked. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Um, layers. Angie Kern says, Satan wears satin, a rom-com prequel about Streep selling her soul to get into the fashion industry, but she and Satan end up falling in love. Oh, she literally sells her soul. It's like, be- oh, interesting. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I think that would be really fun. Yeah. Prequel, though, is that like going to be very young Meryl? Are they going to de-age her? <laughs> Recast Meryl. Well, I mean... They did it for Mamma Mia. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sam Young says, The Devil Wears Nada. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I've had a few of those. Yeah, it's been a popular choice. Sean Joseph Lamper says, God Wears Knockoffs. Roger D. Moore Jr. says, Devil 2 Electric Boogaloo. Standard. A classic standard. Yeah. Oh, this one's a good one. Uh, Oh, Kui Ching Ru, I think your name is. Uh, Two Devil, Two Prada. Two Devil, Two Prada. Nice. Always good. (laughs) I put classic in the post and someone said, Classic? Really? (laughs) See? Bloody nerds. (laughs) Um, it's not got a Stanley camera that you just don't want to know. Jordan from Boyce, I believe, says The Devil Wears Prada 2, Fight Club, Part 2, The Reckoning. Okay, sure. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot. I'm just imagining Meryl Streep in a fight club now, just like kicking seven shades of shit out of somebody. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Price says God wears sandals and white socks. Accurate, apparently. Mm. And then someone's replied saying with cargo shorts and a fanny pack. Yes. All of that, yes. <laughs> Um, oh, this is surely your, this. This is the sort of thing that you'd be expecting, I think, from this. Okay. James McLean says the devil wears the infinity gauntlet. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> Meryl Streep makes her tired assistant gather infinity stones so she can snap up a better assistant. I mean, it's not a terrible <laughs> idea, but call it nerds. There are other things in the world. Yeah. Oh, well, I, th- I think I've got a few of these actually. Uh, the devil wears Primark. Yes. Yes, that's that was one. I'm, I'm sure you've got uh, quite a few of those. Yeah. Paul Spooner says the devil wears Prada too. Angel wears Prada. Mm-hmm. Miranda dies and comes back as an angel to mentor Andy through the trials of life. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, Charlie Dudley. Again, the devil wears Primark, but he said it's a documentary sequel that shows the horrors of how Primark clothes are actually made. Okay. Uh, and that's all I've got. Okay. Yeah, I have some as well. Ross Burson, friend of the podcast, said uh, the devil wears Primark. Very crazy. Is he? Yeah. Is he? He's a friend of a friend of the podcast, I guess. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, so Ross Burton said The Devil Wears Primark, same plot, but set in Leeds. Nice, yeah. Like, Meryl Streep is a, well known as being the mistress of the accent. Mm. I would love to see her putting on like a thick Yorkshire. <laughs> that would be really good fun. I'm very oh, much here for that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. So Lewis Michael Powell said that The Devil Wears Gucci. Mm-hmm. Fernando J. Mar- Marcantal Willis said God Shops at Kmart. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, Melissa Becker had an actual pitch. She said, Streep is pushed out of her job because Prince is dead and she's considered too old. She ends up working on becoming more woke with a group of young people who are protesting the magazine for their lack of racial representation. Fair enough, this was a very white movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, In the end, she learns a lot about how to become more accepting of diversity and of her own experiences of being ignored because of her age. These motivate her towards including people of all types in her new fashion blog. Mm -hmm. Eventually, she's offered her job back, but they won't let her do the cover because none of the advertisers make clothes in the size of the model she wants to use. Mm -hmm. She either refuses the job or takes it and does some wild issue that highlights this problem by having all of the models tastefully nude. Mm, That's not a million miles away from your thing, except you did it with the daughter. Mm. This one is like, Meryl has a change of heart and becomes more woke and more, you know, Mm -hmm. inclusive. Which, yeah. Stuart Gipps said, The Devil Wears Prada. 
as in the French for two, de. Oh, yeah, de. yeah. Dan Chapman said, Meryl Streep dies and goes into the body of a parrot. She right. then continues to influence Anne Hathaway's life in The Devil Wears Parrot. <laughs> sure. Sure. Ollie Brady said, Angels Wear Adidas. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice, nice. Daniel Eli said, God Wears Crocs. <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, there's a lot of these. You say he doesn't. Actually, how do I know? Maybe God does wear Crocs. Yeah. How religious are you? <laughs> <laughs> you sound personally offended by that. I, yeah, actually, that was pure blasphemy. The god that definitely exists absolutely does not work right. Mm, yeah. Uh, Adam Kushner said, Cthulhu wears khakis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, Scott Hillman said, Andy gets a job as an editor at another fashion magazine, but this one's very different. Everyone wears jeans in the office, and it's very much more relaxed, so it's a big culture shock for her. Mm-hmm. Through looking at the books, she realises that Miranda wasn't actually making a lot of money at uh, Runway, and through a series of web deals and marketing, her magazine becomes a real competitor, leading Miranda, as in Meryl, to declare war on her one-time protégé. Mm-hmm. So I guess they become rival magazine editors. That could okay, be good. Yeah, yeah. Greg Shepard said, The middle-aged devil wears M&S. Mm-hmm. Marks and Spencers. British brand for our American listeners. Uh, Bloatbusters said, The devil wears Nada. Yep. Very good guys. They also said, It's a risque film that Miranda did for no reason to move to France and live in a nudist colony. No plot, just lots of nude people. Including nude Meryl Streep, apparently. But wow, sure. great. Yeah, yeah. We watched anything, said The Devil Wears Primark. Miranda is finally dismissed due to a series of HR complaints. She is unhirable due to the number of people she has destroyed who will now no longer speak to her. Eventually, she ends up managing a budget clothing store with hilarious consequences. <laughs> so, like that. I mean, yeah, not an original title, but they went, had a good idea mm-hmm, for it. So. Yeah. Uh, Quiz and Hers, at Quiz and Hers, said Mephistopheles Wears Versace. This one is actually about well dressed demons, like the first one probably should have been. Mm hmm. Uh, Porno Plots podcast at Porno Plots said the devil no longer wears Prada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aussie Nerd at Aussie Nerd Pod says the devil wears Prada, but it's the actual devil from the show Lucifer. Mm, okay, yeah. I've not seen Lucifer, but I get the idea. That's for an episode or two. It was, mm. it was odd. Okay. And finally, So I'm Watching at So I'm Watching said Andy gets revenge on her shitty friends and boyfriend by guessing rich and not giving them any more presents. Sure. Fair. Good choice, Andy. Yeah. yeah cut yeah. them out. <laughs> Cool, and uh, those are our sequel ideas for mm-hmm. The Devil Wears Prada. If you have any sequel ideas for The Devil Wears Prada or any films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, you name it, we're on it. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash beyond the box set. We have exclusive merchandise available at tpublic.com. Again, just search beyond the box set. And we are a proud member of the Pave Media Podcasting Network. Go to pavemedia.net to find out how we can help your, your podcast to build its audience and connect with fellow podcasters. Great stuff. And so uh, next week, mm-hmm. um, we're actually having a Patreon episode. We are having a Patreon. We're having a guest, yes. Um, yeah, so it should be a good time. We're having Louise Ball uh, come on, mm-hmm. um, or a, a return. Returning guest, yes. Yeah. You may remember her from such podcast episodes as Burlesque and... What's the first one? Garden State. Garden State, Garden State, yes. Ugh. Two high-quality movies. Yeah. yeah, sure. Well, she's uh, completing the trilogy okay. by doing a film known as Clueless. Ooh, fun. That is a genuinely great film. Cool. Well, I've not seen it before, yeah. so... Well, I mean, I, I can never tell with you, but I like it, so... <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, thank everybody for listening, and uh, come back next week for Clueless. Yep. See you next week. Thank Bye. You. Bye. That's all.